brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, achy joints, weight gain. Maybe you're thinking they're all just part of getting older. Or that's what your doctor tells you. But Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all be connected. Hormonal changes that happen during perimenopause and menopause are at the root of dozens of symptoms women experience, not just hot flashes. Midi specializes in compassionate care for women in menopause. Their solutions are safe, effective, and FDA-approved. Plus, they're covered by insurance. A convenient telehealth visit with a MIDI clinician can be your first step to getting personalized care. They'll tailor a treatment plan for your symptoms and health history, so you can get back to feeling great. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. When your body changes, your care should too. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. It's true that some things change as we get older. But if you're a woman over 40 and you're dealing with insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, and weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. And with MIDI Health, you can get help and stop pushing through it alone. The experts at MIDI understand that all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around menopause. And MIDI can help you feel more like yourself again. Many healthcare providers aren't trained to treat or even recognize menopause symptoms. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts. They're dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions for dozens of hormonal symptoms, not just hot flashes. Most importantly, they're covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. Before we start tonight's show, I just wanted to apologize for the poor audio quality you're going to hear when Beer is speaking. When we did this interview, Beer didn't have access to a landline like I prefer and normally request. He had to use a cell phone. Unfortunately, there was an issue with the audio from that cell phone that you're going to hear. So again, I apologize for that. Episode 38 
Hello, thanks for tuning in to another episode of Dogman Encounters Radio. I'm Vic Cundiff, and I'll be your host as we listen to eyewitness encounters involving one of the most terrifying cryptids, Dogmen. Our guest tonight is Jim Bear Grant. Bear, welcome to Dogman Encounters Radio. Thanks so much for coming. Vic, how you doing today, man? Oh, doing great. It's so good to have you here. It's great to be here. After my good friend Thumbo was on the show the other week, I just decided to follow him up. If there's any way possible, anybody can remotely do that. <laughs> <laughs> Since you two are cut from the same cloth, both top-notch people, great guests and everything, I couldn't wait to have you on, too. It's an honor to be on your radio show with you, Dogman Encounters. I never would have figured I'd ever do a show like this. Me and you discussed things uh, about this before. The topic mainly was with Bigfoot, only we call them boogers. I love to throw this in there. I'm going to beat myself, pat myself on the back with this deal. <laughs> but uh, what a lot of people don't realize is, Vic Condus got his start with a Bigfoot show back in 19, uh, no it wasn't, it was 2007 when Shane McMahon and me was hosting a Bigfoot show called Campfire Shadows. We kept meeting this interesting fellow from somewhere up north, of course Shane already was from Wisconsin, and his name was Vic, Vic Thomas, and uh, Circumstances happened where I couldn't do the show anymore. It was interfering with researching and several other things I had going on that time. And Shane asked me at that point in time, who would I suggest to take over my duties with the show? And there was no hesitation on my part. I said, you need to talk to this guy named Vic. I said, I think the world of him. He's very sharp on his feet, very intelligent, super conversationalist. He could do the show with no sweat. Well, that worked out great. Then Shane started having health problems within his life. You regretfully to say, you know, he's passed on to uh, another world now. He, he passed away of cancer several years back. Just before he started having his health problems, he threw campfire shadows in your lap one night. And... You never panicked, you never worried about it, but you did call me personally on the phone, and the very first show that you ever did by yourself, I was your first guest on the show, and that was an honor, and it is as well an honor to be your guest tonight on Dogman Encounters. I really do appreciate every time me and you get together and talk, I appreciate you as a person, and I consider you a brother. And I thank the world of you, man. Well, thanks for the good words, Bear. You know that goes two ways. I can't think of a better way to handle that night than the way we did by having you come on as the guest there. That was really nice of you. I've always enjoyed our conversations. I've talked to you I don't know how many times, and every conversation is always so interesting. You never know what to expect with all the, the good stories you've got from the time you've spent out in the woods and everything with your buddy, Tim Kumbo Baker there. What's so strange about all of this is, and, and this is hilarious, you're going to ask for me to give a little background about myself. 
because a lot of people who follow dog man encounters are not what we consider Bigfoot people. But what was funny about this is, I'm thinking we reacquainted ourselves with a Bigfoot form. And I may be mistaken about that, but what was funny was, somebody had told you or give you the impression that I had passed away. And I thought that was hilarious because I was sitting here laughing about it. And it was like you was hearing a ghost from the past when I come back to re-haunt you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was strange. I get emails all the time from different people. And this one guy about maybe three months ago sent me this email. He had a question about dogmen. But at the tail end, he asked me if I knew that you had passed away. It just threw me for a loop. I responded to it, and I told him, no, I didn't hear about that. And it had been a while since I had talked to you, so I wasn't really sure what to believe. So when I got that message, I started sending out feelers to all the people that know you, trying to find out if that was true or not. I didn't get any good answers, so when I heard back from you directly, I didn't know what to think, if I was hearing a voice from the past or something. We were both hearing a voice from the past, brother, and let's just say this, that I'm glad to know that I'm able to talk to you here in the real world, here, right now. It's not my time to go. A lot of people may wish that I'd been left this plane of existence a long time ago, but to their detriment, I'm still here, and I will always be a thorn in their side. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm sure glad you are still around. A lot of people are. Trust me on that. Let's kick this off here, Bear. Please give us a bio on yourself. Well, like I had mentioned earlier, I guess my forte, and it's really not a forte, I hate the word expert and I hate the word researcher because I'm going to state right off the bat, I'm not a scientist. I am not a researcher, which I affiliate scientific research and researching as a scientific field. I'm not being insulted by saying this because I know a, a lot of people consider themselves amateur researchers. Basically, I'm just a good old country boy from north central Mississippi. I currently live in north central Alabama. I am 55 years old. Back in 1965 in north central Mississippi, on a property I still currently own to this day. Me and my brother, we slept in the same bedroom. I was all of six years old in 1966. Something disturbed me and my brother and woke us up during the middle of the night. It was outside our bedroom window. I really don't want to go long into this because I want to really talk to you about the dog men. My heritage is Choctaw. I'm quarter Choctaw Indian, very proud of my native culture and heritage. What woke me and my brother up that night at six years old, we did not have an air conditioner in the house. What we did, we would open up every window and draw the curtains back in the house. Of course, we had outside screens over the windows to keep the mosquitoes and other small insects from getting in the house. But we would place a box window fan in one of the bedrooms in the other end of the house. 
when you did this, you would always put the fan where it is blowing outward. When you open up all the other windows in the house, it would cause all the air to circulate back through the house. It was like a vacuum because what was happening is the fan in the one bedroom was drawing all the air from the inside of the house and pushing it outwards. It was a, a, a direct flow all around the house. And in the south, especially in Mississippi during the summer months, it would get pretty hot. But, you know, back in those days, we was all acclimated as well as we could be to the temperatures, especially at night. That was the only way you could sleep with any comfort at all. Well, due to this situation, at that given point in time, my mother and my father had just separated. That's why I know what time of year it was. That's why I know the year. Because my father left my mother when I was six years old. My sister was six weeks old from the hospital. My mother was very upset at this period in time. Of course, me as a six-year-old child, my younger brother, he was almost two years younger than me. We both shared the same bed. And it was facing towards the eastern back side of the house. Well, when my father had to build this house in 1960, they had to bulldoze the foundation so it would be level. And when they pushed it back to the back of the house, it caused a rise along a little slope on the hill. Well, on top of that hill, it was just one little acre of land that my grandfather to my father and my mother so he could build this house there. My grandfather still owned the land all around the house, all around the property, and he had cattle and horses and all kind of things like that, but it was mainly uh, larger livestock like cows and horses. And so he would fence in all of his property so the cattle and the horses could roam freely, even though my grandfather's whole property was woody. It was pines, hardwoods, had hills, gullies, valleys, little ponds, lakes, things of this sort on his property. But getting back to that particular night, something woke me up. And it was not a full moon type deal, but it was bright enough in the backyard that when all the lights are out in the house, the ambiance or the outside light, when you come to a full awake position, you can look out the window and see into the backyard to a certain degree. I remember that what woke me up, my bed backed up against the western wall. The window was at the foot of the bed, looking toward the east along this little slope that was created when the land was pushed up there towards where my grandfather had rebuilt his fence to encircle our property. And I was hearing something that was going, It woke me up. When I woke up, I heard the noise first. Then I realized that it was coming from outside the window. 
and I looked out the window. I raised up slightly in the bed. The rise about 15 to 20 yards from the bedroom window was almost on a level plane with where the barbed wire fence was. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Mini Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Leaning across the top of that barbed wire fence in kind of a leaning position, it had its arms draped over the top strand of the fence. There was something that looked like a monkey or a great ape swaying slowly back and forth from its right to its left, continuously cooling, and the only way I can describe it was clicking. This was really blowed me away because, you know, I I guess up until that point in time I knew what a monkey was or an ape or a gorilla or so forth and so on from either as a child going to the circus or my mother would show me these things or possibly even from watching TV. But this thing was leaning with both of its arms draped over the top strand of this barbed wire fence it was not standing up. It was stooped down. My grandfather, because I helped fence in his whole property as I got older in life, we would post four and five strands of barbed wire on these fences to keep cattle and horses within the enclosures. And these fences would be five foot tall. And this thing was leaning over the barbed wire fence swaying back its head and shoulder action was to the right and the left, what I consider cooling and clicking. Well, that blew my mind. First thing I did, I woke my little brother up. 
pointed it out to him. I said, look, look, look out the window, look out the window. My brother is a reactionary type person. When he saw it, he registered what he saw. He didn't think about the fact that I was taking care of him by pointing it out to him. He politely just jumped out of the bed and run as fast as he could to my mother's bedroom. When he did that, I took off right behind him. We hit our mother's bedroom. There was my baby sister, like I said, six weeks old, in the little crib over there next to my mother's bed. We woke my mother up. My brother already dove under the covers in her bed, and I was right behind him. And we both excitedly was, Mama, Mama, there's a monkey outside. There's a monkey outside. And, of course, you know, Mama was trying to placate us. She was trying to calm us down. Oh, no, no, there's no such thing as monkeys. Not in Mississippi and especially not around here, so forth and so on. But I do remember that Mama never got out of the bed to go look out the window to see for herself whether there was one or not. That was my introduction to, and I did not realize it was, what we call boogers. We find out later on... Boogers is what a lot of people in the United States call Bigfoot or Sasquatch or whatever people want to call them. That was the very first time I had ever seen a booger. Now, two, three months later, we ended up losing the house because my mother and my father, they divorced. My mother could not support the house payments any longer. That's the only acre of property on my granddaddy's property that we do not currently own. I have since inherited it all from my grandfather. That's the only acre we do not own that we had at one point in time. In 1970, 71 or 72, I can't remember what year, but I can almost tell you it had to be either 70 or 71. The reason being, I started to school in the first grade that fall of 1966. At that point in time, if you turned seven years of age during a school year, you could start first grade. This is also in the 60s where you did not have to go to kindergarten or to nursery school like all children have to do today. Even my kids had to go to preschool, kindergarten, and all that. Back in the 60s, you didn't have to do this. I do remember my sister was not in school, but me and my brother was. So that places it 70, 71, or 72. Me and my brother and sister were chasing and catching lightning bugs, or a lot of people call them fireflies, out in my grandfather's back pasture. That's where we ended up moving after my mother lost the house. When we was chasing these fireflies, a booger wanted to chase fireflies with us. I, I've told this story numerous times. I don't want to get long-winded into it. My grandfather had come out on the back porch several times to call us inside. We was outside frolicking in the back pasture where it was open. The third time he came out in the backyard to call us into the house, he noticed something off to the west of us standing along the fence line. He knew that something was not right, so he started running across the pasture trying to get me, my brother, and my sister's attention. Of course he did. We was, like I said, squ 
squealing and cutting up and laughing and having a good time chasing lightning bugs, what we call them in the south. This all happened, like I said earlier, in north-central Mississippi. During the process, we noticed that my grandfather was, in our opinion, acting like a complete fool because he don't act this way. He was screaming and yelling and running across the back pasture to get to us. Well, we turned around immediately to look at him, and we noticed that he was looking over his left shoulder past us. So we immediately swung around to our right to see what he was looking at. What he was looking at was a booger on all fours loping toward us, leading with his left arm in a lope across the ground heading towards me, my brother, and my sister. As I mentioned earlier, my brother is not the bravest human being in the world. He dropped his mason jar that he was collecting his lightning bugs in and almost knocked my grandfather down trying to get to the house. My baby sister, though, her legs folded up from under her and she fell into a heap at my feet screaming and crying hysterically. I just stood still. I'm not going to sit there and say I was brave, that I did not want to leave my baby sister. I also was looking at this thing running toward us, and I was looking back at my granddaddy and looking back at this thing, and I knew that this thing would get to me and my baby sister before my granddaddy had a chance to get there. Some point during the time that this thing was loping towards us on all fours, it was so intent on me and my sister because it evidently didn't take notice of the fact that my brother took off running when it should have, but my grandfather came within its sight frame. It was so intent and concentrated on what me and my baby sister was doing at the time that when my grandfather came within its sight picture, it came to a stop, which when it did, it probably was no more than 15, maybe 20 yards from me and my sister. When it saw my grandfather, the look in its eyes changed from, in my opinion, it was wanting to play with us, but it could have been something else. I don't want to read more into looks than is actually there because I never know what its intent or its purpose ever was. But I always just got the general feeling that it wanted to join me, my brother and sister, while we was out there playing and catching these lightning bugs. But when it saw my grandfather, it stopped and it stood as fully erect as it could. In other words, it stood on two legs. But it did not lock its knees and it never took its eyes off my grandfather. Plus, the look in its eyes changed from seeming like air-free until it looked like it was replaced with fear. It was almost like it was embarrassed that it had given itself away to my grandfather's presence. I mean, it, it looked guilty, like it was guilty of something, or ashamed of its actions. It slowly turned to its left, which was towards the north of where me and my sister was, and walked in a bipedal position, always looking over its right shoulder back towards me and my sister and my grandfather, 
until it hit the wood line and then it disappeared into the woods. From that point forward, I was older then and I knew what I was looking at was very similar to what me and my brother had seen in our bedroom window in 1966. And of course, I was all of 10, 11 years old at the time. So being at that age, I was really curious. And I asked my grandfather then, what was that? That's when he told me and my brother, my sister, she never wanted to talk about this thing. Actually, it was a very traumatic experience for her. She had trouble sleeping at night, and she was pretty much scared of the woods and everything else from that point forward because I, I, at that tender age, seeing something like that running towards you or loping towards you, it don't make no difference whatever its intent was. It really affected her, and it still does to this day in regard to the woods or anything like that. But my grandfather did tell us that what we had seen on both occasions was what they called boogers. They called them that in the South, and they had always referred to them as the booger man or the boogers going to get you. Or it, 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 It's so funny that even when you would order outside halogen lights for your driveway or to put on your barn or to put outside near your cars or your vehicles in the country, when you would order a light from Delta Electric in that part of the South, you would say, I want two or three booger lights put in my front yard. It was such an apt description that the people taking the orders back in those days, if they was requested for an outside light source, people would order a booger light to put in their yard. And it was something that everybody just took for granted. In 1972 or 73, my mother remarried in about 71, and we moved to a bigger town in the Mississippi Delta called Greenville, Mississippi. Well, mom would let me and my brother go to see the Saturday afternoon matinees over there in Greenville. They would always have them every Saturday. Back then... They had a lot of what they call nature films. It was sort of along the lines of Mutual of Omaha, only Mutual of Omaha Wild Kingdom was a 30-minute show you'd see every weekend in syndication. But these were nature films that were about an hour and a half long. Sometimes you'd get lucky and you'd find a double feature. Well, we went to the movie theater in Greenville in 1972, the reason I remember the year, because that was the first year that we had moved away from the farm. Up to that point in time, we had lived out in the country. That summer, before that film started, there was a 27 or 28-minute film that come on before the feature film was. The 28-minute film was the patterson Gimline film of Bigfoot. I don't care if you're in the Bigfoot or if you're not in the Bigfoot. You have seen the Patterson-Gimline film. When they introduced that film and they first showed what they called Patty, which was the Bigfoot in the film, they had been talking about Bigfoot and Sasquatch up until then. But when they showed the picture of Patty from that film, I'll never forget it. 
me and my brother turned around and looked at each other, and we basically said to each other, almost probably out loud in the movie theater, that's not a Bigfoot, that is a booger. So that was about the time we realized that this Bigfoot and this Sasquatch was what we had been knowing for years as being a booger. In the South, especially around Alabama, Mississippi, Tennessee, or Arkansas, Louisiana, Georgia, that's what is always has been known, man. Either the wild man of the woods or a booger. In 1975, even though we still lived in Greenville, Mississippi, every summer, when school went out, you can put the boy in the city, but you can't take the country out of the boy. When school would let out for the year, and I would play baseball, my brother would play baseball, as soon as baseball season was over with, June, we headed straight back to the country. That was our love. That was our interest. In 1975, I was able to get my driver's license. As soon as I got my driver's license boat, I got my first vehicle. I was then what you consider a hunter who was not limited to just the family farm. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I would go all over. I come from a large family. A lot of my uncles and a lot of my aunts married farmers, and every one of them had access to a large traits of land in north central Mississippi within four to five different counties. We're talking about a lot of acreage, and I had access to hunt a lot of this property. 
and I can hunt in places other people. I've never had trouble having a place to hunt. And the deal with being somebody who's interested in boogers and not being a researcher but a hunter or a tracker, that's what I would do in my younger years. Even up until the time when I went to college, even up until the time I've gotten married, I have always been very interested in hunting or tracking Bigfoot or, or what we consider boogers. Then in 1999, my wife at the time was interested in trying to purchase a computer. I had no interest in a computer. I still have trouble with a cell phone. Even to this minute, I actually cried when they got rid of the rotary turning telephone. I hate technology. I understand it. I know it has its purposes. I guess I was just born in the wrong era. But I'd be satisfied just hunting and fishing all of my days. But she was interested in the Internet, and she wanted to purchase a computer. So... I would not agree to a computer, but you know how them women are. They're pretty darn sharp. They'll figure out ways to get around you. <laughs> so what she did, she went and purchased what they call at that time a web TV. I don't know if the listeners are familiar with what web TV is, but what it is, it was really a dang keyboard system that you hooked into your TV, and you could use your TV screen as a computer screen. Well, I never told her she couldn't purchase a web TV, but I told her I wasn't interested in a computer. She went and purchased one, and of course the damage was done then, so I would go to work, I'd come home, she'd be on the web TV. I mean, it was like this all the time. It wasn't that she was neglecting her duties or anything, and uh, it didn't disrupt our work. But she wanted to get me interested in web TV or the Internet. And I'd be done if she didn't know which buttons to push. She kept asking me, she said, if you want to find anything, anything, just tell me what it is. Just name something and I'll type it in here. Well, she already knew that every chance I got, I was investigating local reports and things like this because Word had got out in that part of the state that I was the booker man. In other words, if they had any problems with a Bigfoot or they thought they had a potential Bigfoot or anything like that, they, somebody in, through hunting or somewhere always knew that you need to get a hold of this guy named Bear. He hunts with us. He hunts out of the deer camp with us. You need to talk to Bear. You need to talk to Bear. Well, she, she hit me one day and I just said, well, why don't you type in Bigfoot on that darn web TV and let's see what pops up. Biggest mistake in the world she could ever make. <laughs> she had me hook, line, and sinker. When she typed in Bigfoot, I dang near elbowed her out of the couch or off the chair. I don't forget where she was at. It opened up a whole new world. Since then, I've got to meet other fellow people who get into Bigfoot. I've been within the Bigfoot community and have been known within the Bigfoot community ever since 1999. That's how I ended up meeting Coombo, Tim Baker. Coombo and me have gotten together and we've researched or observed or tracked or hunted Bigfoot together now going on 15 years. 
he's the best research buddy you could ever have. That's how I got up until this point in time what Barry is in the Bigfoot community. I've been knowing of these things since 1966. I actively really got to hitting them up in other areas, other states, other counties since 1975. I have exclusively researched Bigfoot or boogers in the southern region. I'm not as extensive about it as Tumbo is. I don't have Tumbo's pedigree either. I call him the redneck Bigfoot rocket scientist. <laughs> I'm basically just the old country boy from Mississippi. I've researched Oklahoma, Texas, Arkansas, Louisiana, Kentucky, Tennessee, Mississippi, Alabama, Georgia, Florida, South and North Carolina. That's as far as I've ever been researching, but heck, I've got more than I could do in any of those states, let alone trying to go elsewhere, but I don't have a problem going other places. I'm one of the first researchers, as far as I know, that have studied the habits of these things from what I've grown up knowing about them ever since I was a little bitty fella in other states to, and have found out that certain things that work here also work in other locations. I've been able to see minute differences, but it's not a lot to understand that we basically all are dealing with the same creature. It all depends on the habitat, the ecosystem, the environment, the weather conditions, the terrain. Everything minutely has a reason for why one of these boogers are adapted or built differently than another. That's why me and you are talking right now, because if anybody has been out there doing this, whether as a hobby, doing this, what they consider probably professionally, which I don't. I love what I do. I love what I'm learning. I'm still learning to this day. But if you're out there any length of time at all, and you see and know as something being real as Bigfoot is, this thing is real, you're also going to run into some things that make you scratch your head. Some things that are cryptid in nature also, especially if you're out there the length of time that I've been out there and Kubo's been out there. It's not that we're all of a sudden, well, and I know a lot of people are listening and hearing me probably for the first time tonight through Dogman Encounters. I am not a Dogman researcher. I am not a Dogman hunter. I am not a Dogman tracker. But if you're out there and you're looking for Bigfoot, are you looking for boogers and you profess to be out there all the time doing this in different locations across the country and you tell me you have never run into something like a dog man, then you're not getting out there as much as you want people to think you are. I will say that because, honest to God, if you've been out there as much as I have and as much as Kumbo has and as much as a lot of Bigfoot researchers profess to be, and they haven't run into something that looks like a dog man, they haven't been out there enough. When I first met you and heard all these people around you talking about your ability to call boogers in, I've got to admit, I was as skeptical as can be on that. 
So what I did was I started asking around, started asking all these people who had been out with you in the bush, trying to find out if those claims were true. And to be honest, I can't remember one time where I inquired about that with one of those people where they didn't, to a man or a woman, back up your claims about being able to call boogers in almost at will. After talking to all those people, and I don't know how many people I've talked to about your ability to call these things in, I've got no doubts whatsoever in your ability or Tim's ability to call these things in. When you live and was raised and brought up in the country, you have to, we didn't have Nintendos, we didn't have Xboxes, we didn't have Ataris, we didn't have things that kept us in the house. I had three horses by the time I was seven years old. I'm not talking about settling ponies. I'm talking about three horses of my own. We had cattle. We had to learn how to feed all the animals on the farm. We had chickens. We had hogs. We had pigs. We had cattle. We had horses. We had jobs to do, but we also had a lot of time for ourselves. And you didn't sit in the house. We run around all over this country, especially in the summertime, more so even after my mom remarried when I was 11 and 12 years old. But you got to understand, we had free reign to run all over the back pastures, the hills, the forest. We would spend all of our summers or in the spring and even up until fall fishing. And then in the fall, we would start hunting rabbits squirrels, deer, anything we could do, everything was outdoor-related. Same thing happened with coon boats. What people don't realize is when you're outdoors and there's nobody around for miles, you don't even have to worry about listening and hearing another car coming down the road or truck coming down the road or train. The only thing we would see that even reminded us that we was in a, a modern world was occasionally an airplane would come over our head or either a jet airplane way up in the atmosphere. And you would hear them. But everything else we was hearing, we was hearing all the birds, we was hearing all the squirrels, we was hearing nature, we was hearing horses, we, was hearing, we had dogs, we had cats. Everything had a natural order. And it was nothing for us to hear other things, too. And we noticed a long time ago, especially as a hunter and as a kid, that when you hear certain things that you don't hear every day, then you can't see what these things are that's vocalizing this way. Then you hear these things do this, and you hear another one, respond to it from another direction. And it would be certain calls made, and then certain calls would be made in reply. And we knew it was not human. We knew it was not something we could physically see making these calls. But we were sitting there just like we learned when we'd sit outside at night and we would hear owls make their calls. We would replicate these calls. We would hear crows call. They'd be calls.
corn in the fields. We would replicate these calls. We would hear horses. We would hear cattle. We would hear bulls ready to fight over territory or over a scout. We had time on our hands. We had the right environment to learn to listen. We also had the right environment to learn to replicate calls like owls, to calls like a robin, to calls like a blue jay. We had the time to do this. We got to the extent where we did it pretty good enough that we could even fool owls. We could fool dogs. We could fool other animals. We learned how to do this with duck calls. We would call in ducks to harvest, to shoot. We would do this with anything we could. We used buck lures. We would do anything we could to bring in the white-tailed deer. And we also noticed that if we listened and we heard enough times, we could hear these boogers calling each other and we could hear what the reply would be. And it's not so much just through vocalizations, you could hear them with what people call wood knocks. And there's a rhythm to it, and there is a sequence to it. And if you learn the rhythm and you learn the sequence, you can fool a booger. If you learn the calls and you learn what responses certain calls get, you can replicate those calls and call in what we call boogers. And this works. Have you, over the years, developed the ability to call in dogmen beer? I have no clue about it. No clue about dogmen. I'm going to tell you my first incident with a dogman. It happened in the early 90s. I'm never... Let me go into this first, and then I'll go into that. I'm the type that, due to my native heritage... I'm Choctaw Indian, as I said earlier. I do know that Choctaw, the beliefs, they have what they call a shape, S-H-A-M-P-E. It may be even a French word. I may be mispronouncing it. But in Mississippi, the Choctaw natives is my tribe. There is around where I'm at in north-central Mississippi, I'm right on the border between what they consider the Choctaw Nation and the Chickasaw Nation back in the days before the Trail of Tears. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah. Oh. 
Sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The Chopin or Chopin was what the Choctaw call a booger or a Bigfoot or a Sasquatch. Now, they also have something else in their little folklore, but it's not folklore if it's real. But they called it, it's a two-word name, the Nalusa Falaya. It's spelled N-A-L-U-S-A, Nalusa, which usually means man, and Falaya, F-A-L-A-Y-A. That usually means dog. Now, if you take the word Melusa Falaya, it means, within the Choctaw tradition, man-dog or dog-man. Now, I had read of this thing, but I never considered it. But I did know there was such thing as a booger or a Sharpay or a Charmay. It was real. But they also mentioned the Melusa Falaya. Now, word got back, like I had mentioned earlier, about people would have problems or have dealings with boogers, or what they thought were boogers. There was this woman out of Water Valley, Mississippi, which is north of my property, north of the deer camp, the whole nine yards. But word of mouth got around, this lady lived at the eastern end of Enid Lake. Anybody can look this up. Enid Lake is in north central Mississippi. It's E-N-I-D, Lake. It is south of Oxford, north of Grenada. She was raising ankle biters. Now, that's a joke. But she loved her dogs, and she loved her smaller dogs. And she had a bunch of them. She didn't believe in birth control for her critters, because she loved her dogs. But something in February one year in early 1990s had started getting into her small dogs. She lived to the west of Water Valley, Mississippi, on the edge of the backside of Enid Lake, which it was swampy. Plus, that time of year, the water levels were down. The reason the water levels were down was because you just don't know how much rain or snow, if you're going to get any snow, and you don't want Enid Lake to overflow and flood any of the towns in the lower part of Mississippi, which is the flood zone. Enid flows in Tallahatchie River. I think it's off the Yakona River flows into it. It ends up into the Tallahatchie and the Yellow Bush, which winds up into the Yazoo, which winds up into the Mississippi River and the Mississippi Delta. But they always would let a lot of the water out of the lake around November, December, January, February for flooding purposes. She lived on the back side of the lake in a very rural location. Something was getting in there in the spring of the year, 
she was having puppies and something was coming into her backyard getting her puppies. Well, word got back to the booger man, which was me, that something was getting her puppies. She requested to a friend of a friend, would I take the time to come up there and check the situation out? I said, yeah, I don't mind doing it. I make these calls, you know, periodically. Just let me get deer season over with. So I think I went the second or third week into February. I know it was cold. I know that there was no leaves on the trees. I know the water level was down. I met the lady. I found where she lived. I talked to her over the phone. So I drove up there one Saturday to check out what was going on there. She showed me her kennels in her backyard. She showed me the layout. She had a fenced-in yard. Something was stepping over the fence, getting into her backyard, and was stealing her baby puppies. They wasn't getting all the dogs, but they was getting some of them. I walked around behind the house. I didn't take a gun. Like I said, it was not hunting season. I was not thinking in regard to needing a gun or anything like that. I found a game trail leading up to her back chain link fence. So I started following the game trail into the woods, and I was sort of looking around. You got to remember, everything I was thinking was Bigfoot or Booger. Never had dealt with anything like the Melusophilia or a dog man or anything like that in my whole life. Started following the trail, started noticing some of the physical evidence, what we call physical evidence in relation to Bigfoot or boogers. Tree bows, tree twists, semi-small teepee formations, things like that. I walked into the woods. Pretty good little piece back in there. It was about a mile, a mile and a half in there. And I started coming out into the clear. And I got to noticing that towards the north of me and back more toward the west of me that I could see through the top of those trees. And I figured I was coming out on the backside of Enid Lake. And when I did, I come out on the backside on what we call a peninsula. And what a peninsula is, there was a creek to my right, which was to the east, and to my left, which was back toward the west, there was a high ridge where there was a bunch of hardwood trees over behind me. This was about 4.30 in the afternoon. That time of year, it starts getting dark anywhere from 5.15 to 5.30 because you haven't had daylight saving time up here yet. While I was on this peninsula, due to the water being lowered in the lake bed, chances are where I was walking may have been underwater in July, August, September, October. But it had receded, but due to them letting the drainage out of the dam to control flood control, like I'd mentioned earlier. When I walked out into that opening, I looked back toward the east, and something come out of the hardwoods on the other side of that creek. That creek was about 30, 40 yards wide, and it was full of water. But what come out from the edge of those hardwoods directly to the east of me was something walking bipedally, and it was about 120 yards away from me. 
I didn't have no binoculars or nothing, but I could plainly see because the sun had just disappeared behind me to my left. It was in the shadows, but it was walking out toward me, and when it did, it let out a scream, an ungodly scream. The hair went up on the back of my neck, and I was looking at it, and I said, Dang, I'm looking at a booger or a Bigfoot. But about that time, it turned its head and looked towards the north, more across the Tacoma River side. And when it did, I noticed that it had a long snout. Plus, it not only had a long snout, it had ears that were sticking up, kind of pointed ears above its cranium, its brain area. It was stooped over. It was bipedal on two legs. It was hairy. It was black. The color of the hair was black. It was almost as if it was in a hunchback position when it gave me a side profile. I was looking at its left side profile. It glanced, actually what I think it was looking toward the north, I'm thinking it was really surveying me out of its left eye more fully. And I had that general impression about it. Now, it turned back toward me again its arms, like I said, it seemed like it was in a stooped over hunchback position. When it turned to face toward the north and I noticed the length of its snout and its ears, it looked like it had a mane from back of its cranium all the way down its back. And it was very hairy and shaggy looking. I mean, it looked like a pelt. I knew when I was looking at this thing, I saw it had long arms. Its arms was about parallel with the knees, where the knees should have been. This was when I got it from a side angle. But then it looked back toward me, and it let out another screen. I did not have a gun or nothing. I knew I was not looking at a booger, but I didn't know what I was looking at. I got to thinking about it later when I seen what I saw, and I'm thankful to this day that that darn creek was full of water that was between me and it. I decided I had better ease out of there the way I come in there. And so I receded back the way I'd come. I didn't get no hurry. I learned from dealing with boogers, don't run from them. You've got to ease out of the situation. Because with a booger, if you run from a booger, a booger will almost 90% of the time chase you or act like it's going to chase you or it will pace you out of the woods. Whatever this thing was, I heard it scream twice. I saw that it had a long snout, and I saw that it had long ears. And what's so funny about that is, even as many Bigfoot or boogers I have seen over the years, I have never fully seen an ear to identify and say I see the ear. I know they've got ears. I know they hear. But this thing had long, pointy ears. And it blew my mind. When I got back to this lady's house, 
she asked me, do I see anything? I told her, I didn't tell her about what I saw, but I did tell her that everything I seen around there indicated to me that something bipedally was crossing over her fence getting her folks. But to this day, I can't tell you if it was the Melusophilia that was doing that or if it was a Bigfoot. I'm tending to think they both was in the area. The only reason I knew the dogman was there because I actually seen him. Now, does that mean the dogman creates formations like Bigfoot or Boogers do? I have no clue. But I knew what I seen behind her house between there and the lake itself was evidence of a booger. But what I physically seen with my eyes at about 120 yards was as best as I can determine was the dog man. You said you heard it scream twice. What did it scream sound like? Almost like what people describe as a woman screaming, but it wasn't. And it definitely was not what a lot of people in Mississippi declare as a panther scream, too. That's another cryptid, they claim, that is in the state of Mississippi. I've seen three panthers in the state of Mississippi that the Mississippi Game and Fish Commission declare does not exist in Mississippi. I've seen two in the dark, and I've seen one in the daytime. The scream is very high-pitched, and it will chill you to the bone. It seems like it vibrates off your chest. It's not deep. It's grumble to a certain degree. But the scream is almost like a woman screaming in mortal agony. And it's very high-pitched. Nothing wolf-like in its tone at all. It was just a terrifying, get-your-attention scream. There's no way I could duplicate it. That does sound like something that would shake you up pretty bad if you heard it. Oh, it got my attention. I've seen it losing before the thing screamed at me. And that's what blows my mind in relation to boogers. I've seen boogers on numerous occasions over the years. That don't make me special. It just, I know what to look for when I'm in the woods. I've been around these things all my life. That don't make me special. That don't make me better than anybody else. I just know what to look for, how to look for them, and when to look for them. You put all the clues together. That's what a tracker does. You work with patterns. This thing screams was nothing like I've ever heard a booger make before. Also, this thing didn't even act like a booger. Every booger I've ever seen, I've only had one, and that one bluff charged me, and I've done that on your past show with Campfire Shadows when we were discussing Bigfoot. But that thing screamed in my face. That was the only booger I've ever actually seen that screamed and every other one I've ever seen, once they realized that I seen it or was looking at it, has never vocalized as a direct challenge to me. It seemed like that thing that I seen on the backside of Enid Lake was throwing a challenge at me, Vic. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. 
This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. That's not a good thought. No, that's why I say that I am so proud that that 20, 30-yard creek was between me and it. I'm telling you. <laughs> I don't know what would have happened. Let's just put it this way. Good Lord was on my side. Uh, or, you know, I didn't have a weapon. I didn't have a gun. I felt uncomfortable. And it really, you know, that really blew my mind, especially when I got the side profile of it. Because I knew if this was a booger, it was the strangest thing booger I ever run into in my life because I'd never seen one with a snout and I'd never seen one with ears that stuck up above its head. You know, you've done so much work that's put you into not contact with boogers, but into close proximity with them. Since you're so familiar with them, I'm sure you're fairly comfortable around them. Now, having said that, I've never asked you about this before, but is it safe to say that when it comes to dogmen compared to boogers, are you more afraid of boogers than you are of dogmen or what? I put it like this, and I may be stupid for saying it. I'm more comfortable dealing with a nine, ten foot booger than I am a seven, eight foot dog man. That's the only time I've ever seen what I could ever physically describe as a dog man. But that wasn't the last time I seen a picture of one. And that was not the last time that I caught a glimpse of two and seen their tracks. Every time I've run into anything that remotely pointed out to me real quick that I was looking at something other than a booger, I have always, always got worried over it or more concerned about it. Because to me, that is the unknown. I'm not a dog man hunter or tracker. I am a booger tracker or a hunter. And I don't mean hunter to mean to say that I'm going out to kill them. I'm a hunter in that I've learned how to find them. I've learned how to, what to look for. And I've learned how to call them in that way. 
what gets me is when I'm out there doing this for a booger, and then I run into something that's not a booger. That's when I really get worried. That one incident on the backside of Amy's Lake showed me this thing is not scared of humans. It may be scared in regard to the fact that it wants to remain as elusive as a Bigfoot does, but once it determines that it wants to show itself, it's not ashamed at all to let you know it's there. And that's what worries me about these things. Yeah, I don't think that they're afraid of much, if anything. I don't. I really don't. I think you're right. You know, over the years, Beer, you going out looking for boogers the way you have, that's put you into some pretty creepy, spooky areas, to say the least. In Oklahoma, there's a place called Brown Springs that happens to be a really scary area. Before we get into the incident that happened there in Brown Springs, could you tell us about why Brown Springs is so scary of a place? Well, well, I was discussing a little bit earlier about my background. In 1999, when, you know, I threw real TV and all this, I run into what I thought. We have a group, and... I think some of the best people in the whole community are, um, and it's a very select, small group, and we call ourselves the Bigfoot Outlaws. One of the members of the group was from Oklahoma. His name was Dan Rickey. And me and Dan have talked over to the computer. We have talked over the phone. We have researched or investigated and hunted and tracked all over the South together. And... We would talk about all of our, you know, things that I'd heard over here, and he'd talk about things he heard over there. And one night, the conversation come up about Brown Springs in Oklahoma. Dan told me a little story. He told me about this guy that he knew or knew of. His name was Butch Bridges. And he said, Bob, this place out here has Bigfoot. And this thing has some weird stuff out there. Dan don't beat no bones around about it. He says that place is bad juju. I just grin every time Dan says that. But once I got to learn who Dan Ricky was, when Dan Ricky says this got bad juju, you better believe it does. But anyhow, what got him interested in the story was this investigative newspaper reporter named Butch Bridges, I think he's out of Ardmore, Oklahoma, A-R-D-M-O-R-E. He's retired now. Actually, I talked to Butch Bridges five years ago, but I'm getting ahead of myself. This was before I knew anything about that part of the country out there. Most of what I've learned about Oklahoma and the people I've grown to love and know has been through Dan Rickey. And He's just like Kumbo, he's a brother to me. I, I respect this man more than any I could ever tell anybody. But Dan told me about an incident that happened out there in the 80s. And it's even possibly it's been going back a lot longer than that. Brown Springs is a location out there that is on the Red River off of I-35 between Dallas, Texas and Oklahoma City. You have to know that they used to call Oklahoma in the early part of the century 
Indian Territory. Well, what would happen is the Kiowa and the Comanche would raid into Texas from Indian Territory or unclaimed territory, and then they would raid and steal horses and pillage and, you know, what all they did, and then they would come back across the Red River right there, and it wasn't just at that location, but that was one of the locations where they would cross. When the five quote-unquote civilized tribes, and I hate saying that because that's a white man's term, when they forced the Trail of Tears upon the civilized Indians, what they call civilized, I think that's an insult, and shipped them all off to Oklahoma from South Carolina, North Carolina, Tennessee, Kentucky, Mississippi, Alabama, Florida, Louisiana, Arkansas, and they forced them on the Trail of Tears to move to Oklahoma. They give that part of the Indian nation, uh, the southern part of Oklahoma, to the Choctaw Indian tribe, which is by heritage. My heritage comes from the Mississippians, even though I probably have ancestry and kinfolk that are in Oklahoma, which I know for a fact I do. I've just never traced my lineage back in that direction. The Choctaw Indian Nation consisted of a lot of Oklahoma, and especially in and around the Brown Springs area. Anybody can look this place up on a map. It's near a town called Thackerville. Also, this location was a major traveling route between army bases. The United States government had an army base at uh, Fort Arbuckle. It was in the Arbuckle Mountains, which is directly north of Brown Springs. Also, kind of more towards the southwest was uh, Fort Griffin, Texas. Any supplies that would come from Washington or the main eastern part of the government, they would send it out west to Fort Arbuckle and then to Fort Griffin, and they had kind of basically a wagon trail that crossed the Red River right in through there. This was also a supply route in and out of the uh, unclaimed nation. Any outlaws that would Rob banks or whatever from Texas would flee across the Red River into Indian Territory. I'm sure most of the people that are listening to the show are familiar with the movie True Grit, where Rooster Cogburn was a U.S. Marshal out of Fort Smith, Arkansas. That was Judge Isaac Parker, the hanging judge. The only people that had any authority in this territory was U.S. Marshals based out of Fort Smith, Arkansas. He had about anywhere from 35 to 55 marshals that had to roam all over this great unclaimed territory at the time, and they was the only law in that part of the state. And so it was pretty a pretty wild territory back in those days. And these outlaws would watch these major river crossings because the Red River has a reputation having quicksand and sinkholes and all kind of bar pits and everything in the river itself. The river is constantly shifting. Quicksand and all that's constantly shifting. But they, there was more like an established wagon trail that crossed right there at Thackerville, which Thackerville was not in existence then. It was just called Brown Springs, the crossing there. 
that's where they ended up building I-35 corridor through there heading to Oklahoma City. So this whole area in here had a lot of bad history anyway. I, I'm going to get into that later too if you'll remind me later on. Brown Springs was an area where ambushes were set up when they crossed the Red River right there between white settlers or between bandits coming from Texas going north into Indian Territory. And then you had the Kiowa and the Comanche crossing through there and uh, from the depredations in Texas. They When they crossed the Red River, people from Texas, uh, the Texas Rangers could not cross it. They was not allowed to unless they had permission from Judge Parker in Fort Smith, Arkansas. It was usually left up to the U.S. Marshals. This was a wild, untamed location. This whole area there at Brown Springs has a lot of evil-type history. There's even historical accounts of, at the turn of the century, there was a family that lived there who would rob, kill, rape, anything they could to anybody that was crossing between Texas and Oklahoma right into there. The story has it, and Butch Bridges does all this up, that this family was a very unlawful type family, and they actually had kidnapped a young Choctaw Indian girl and had brutally raped her and then murdered her. Well, when the Choctaw tribe out in that location found out about this, they attacked the homestead of this family, and they captured the men that done all this, supposedly, and they staked him out on the ground right there at Brown Springs, and they used a knife to cut him across his abdomen so his intestines would come out, and supposedly for the Nalusa Falea to feed upon him. Now, I mentioned that to mention this, even throughout history, even since then, there have been bodies found as recently as 1999 and maybe one or two more. Over the years, there have been unexplained bodies found at Brown Springs right there on the border in the Oklahoma side. Which, what happened was, he had a scanner back in the day, and whenever anything would happen in that location, he got wind of it, and so he heard of an incident that happened in the 80s. It was either the 80s or the late 70s. I can't remember the date, but supposedly there was this couple that was found there. They had taken their car, and they was parked out there, and they was getting around on the hood of the car, so forth and so on. Something come up behind the man grabbed the man by his head and twisted his neck all the way around and threw his body right there along the edge of the stream. When they did, I don't want to be too graphic in my description here, the young lady was found on the hood of the car on top of the blanket that the young man had put on top of the car. She had been raped repeatedly. The bruises was between her thighs, and you only bruise when your heart's beating. She had been disemboweled. In other words, her stomach had been ripped open. Her eyes were wide open and her mouth was wide open. In other words, when she expired, her heart quit beating or whatever, she was alive when it happened. And 
Blitz arrived at this scene after the fact. Uh, of course, Oklahoma troopers would not allow him to take photos, so forth so on. It's still a ongoing investigation. The only reason I know that is because a member of our Bigfoot Outlaws is a gentleman who is a lieutenant in a police department out of North Dakota. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC. Member SIPC. They have access to certain files. I think they're called the CID files. What these files are, it's uh, unsolved murders or unsolved homicides. And I had mentioned this incident to him through Dad Ricky, through what I found out. And I asked him would he just nose around a little bit and see if what I'm saying is not the truth. Because I really want to know if this was a made-up story or what. And he actually did get to snooping around a little bit, and he found out that this case is still open. And that wasn't the only case. Supposedly there have been bodies left there from the Dixie Mafia in Dallas. They would bring the bodies up there to Brown Springs and dump them out there, and they've been bodies found there at least two or three bodies a year through a five- or ten-year period since the 60s. Why they're leaving these bodies here, or why these bodies are turning up here, and most of them are found disemboweled or whatever. It just blows my mind. It kind of got to be not a secret deal, but we was all interested in it. We went to a Bigfoot barbecue get-together at Lake Texoma in 2000. When me and you was prepping for this show, I was trying to remember back a lot of the incidents so I could be as close to telling things the way they happened and when they happened as I could, and I realized that Kumbo did go with us the first time to Brown Springs in the year 2000 or 2001. I can't remember which one it was, but we had went to Texoma and we wasn't probably 40 miles away from Brown Springs. While there, we got to talking about it, and somebody suggested, well, they said, hey, well, Brown Springs ain't but about 40-something miles to the west of us. Let's go check it out. So we took off out there to Brown Springs. That was the very first time I've ever been there. When we got there, everything is just like it is stated on the websites. If anybody's interested, I think you even posted up some uh, URLs for the websites and all 
in relation to this show. Uh, if you hadn't, it would be smart that you would, so anybody interested can look it up. A lot of this property out there is private property. I want to state that right off the bat. I don't want nobody to think they can just drop what they're doing and go check this place out. But there is a cemetery off that main road there where the springs are located at. Plus, you can park there, and a lot of people walk down there. There's a foot trail that walks down to the Red River. And when you get onto the Red River, you will see a huge sandbar. I even looked it up on Google Maps the other night, and that sandbar is still there unless it's shifted. On that sandbar, you can find all kind of tracks, or wild hog tracks, deer tracks, raccoon tracks, possum tracks, anything else. But if you look real good and you get lucky, depending on what else has walked along that sandbar, you can find other tracks too. If I'm not mistaken, I think it was our good friend, Chad Scott, another Bigfoot researcher friend of mine, he found a track out there that was about 14 inches long, tapered, and had claws on the end of its five toes. It was a barefoot track. A very large 14-inch track is not unbelievable. What I'm saying is a human could possibly make a 14-foot track, but that's a big footprint, you know. But what really got me about the 14-inch track was on the end of the track, and this was in October of that year, was barefoot, and it had claws on the end of its toes embedded into the track. I looked at the track, and my hair stood up on my head again. I'm sitting here looking at this track. We go in there to look for evidence of Bigfoot or boogers. And there was this darn track on this sandbar out there in the Red River. with human-like tracks, 14 inches long, and they had claws on the end of the darn track. And I looked at that track, and immediately when I looked at that track, my head just stood straight up and automatically looked all around. When you see tracks like that, it sure makes a person uneasy. Yeah, if you see something like that, it's only natural that you're going to be paranoid big time, wondering if what made those tracks is in the area and watching you. Before we move on, Bear, I want to reiterate the point that you made there. If you want to go to Brown Springs and try to investigate, remember what Bear said, that is private property. If you don't wind up getting eaten by a dog man, you might still be arrested by a police officer, so please don't try that. Well, to even go a little farther along on that statement, due to the bodies that have been found there recently, they do patrol it pretty regularly around in there, too. Went back out to Oklahoma a year later. Was up there in... The Arbuckle Mountains, where I mentioned earlier about Fort Arbuckle, went out there with a fellow researcher. He is now deceased. He passed away with pancreatic cancer. His name was Dr. Charles Hallmark. While we were at the Arbuckle Mountain, since I had went there that other time, 
when I went to Texoma, I wanted to go back. Not only did I want to go back, I had already done a lot of this digging into Butch Bridges a little closer and done a lot more digging into the Brown Springs area. It had piqued my interest. I talked to Dr. Hallmark, and he said, we're right here, let's go south and check it out again. I said, all right, we'll go. This time when we went, we didn't take as large a party as we did when we went over there and looked at it when we went to Texoma. If I'm not mistaken, I think we took about 12 or 15 people over there when we went to Texoma. This time when we went back, it was me and Dr. Charles Hallmark only. And we went back to the same location. We parked the vehicle, went straight back almost to the Red River, but on the northern side, the same side just before the river itself, there's a stretch of timber that is about oh, 80 to 100 yards wide. And it runs parallel with the Red River. And I knew that well, since we'd found the track there a year before, that you ain't going to find a dog man or a booger on the sandbar of the Red River. You're going to find them in the woods. And I really wanted to get into there and look for what we call physical evidence toward the fact whether a booger was in there or not. But I'd also, in the back of my mind, remembered that track. So here we go, we get down there to where we could see the Red River in front of us, so we turned to the east. The Red River was to our right. We was walking in through that swat of woods right through there. We went in there about at least two miles. I was seeing various formations in there that I do know and have learned over the years that are attributed to uh, boogers creating or making them, for whatever reason they do. We had walked way in there, and after we had been in there a pretty good little piece, me and Dr. Hallmark got real unconscious feeling going on that something was not right. Something was pacing us. Something was in there with us. I told him it was about time for us to head back anyway. Because, I, I mean, we could sit there and probably walk the whole length of the Red River, which, you know, it it is out into the Mississippi River, but, you know, that's just a joke. But I figured two miles into there was far enough anyway, especially with just me and him back in there. And so we both decided together to turn around and start heading back. Well, when we started heading back, there's places inside underneath those hardwoods, and this was in, the time of the year this was, was February. The reason I remember it, because uh, it was right after deer season. There was no foliage on the trees. There was a lot of sage grass in that swap of woods, though. Because what would happen, and you could tell that it did, that sometimes even the Red River will overflow its banks. And what happens is where we was walking, was a little plain that when the Red River would overflow its banks, it would overflow into this little plain that we was in. 
and that's where all this sage grass was growing. And it was about four and a half to six feet tall in spots. Now, it was, the sun was out that day, and we was walking back. I always wear a cap over my head, and I pull it down low, and I always wear sunshades. The reason being, because I've learned a long time ago that when you're in the woods, and if you, especially if you're in the woods looking for a booger, if you wear shades and your hat with it pulled down low, you can see more out of the, the, your peripheral vision, out of the corner of your eyes. You can see movement better than you can looking at it directly. I've learned a long time ago that if you stop and you turn around and if you look at something and stare at something intently, especially where a booger is concerned, that it will freeze, it will remain hidden, it will stay behind something. So I learned through trial and error over the years to pull the cap down low, wear shades, that way I can be watching out of the corners of my eyes because you can see movement quicker out of the corner of your eyes than you can if you're looking directly at something. Even if it's minute, you can see it. And something was pacing us to the north off to our left. You got to remember when we were heading back towards where we had originally parked, the Red River was then to our left. So I knew that that side was pretty protective unless it wanted to break out into the open because I knew that if things pushed us or tried to flush us, talking about me and Dr. Hallmark, that we could hit the bank of the Red River and be out in at least some wide open spaces so we could see what was coming toward us. But while we was walking back, I started noticing something pacing us along all fours on the ground off to my right, which is to the north. And you could catch it running between the sage grass, and it was black hair. Again, it was black hair, and it was pacing us on all fours, as would a large dog or a wolf. I thought at first maybe Bigfoot, but then I got to noticing sections where it would run across. I'd kind of be looking ahead, kind of quartering myself to, let's say, if straight ahead is 12 o'clock, I was kind of looking toward 2 o'clock in that angle without turning my head. And I'd find these little sections of sage grass where it would be thinner than thicker sections. And when I did, I got to notice that what was pacing us had long snouts. <laughs> and I was not feeling happy at all. I will say this, me and Dr. Charles both had firearms. I had a three fifty seven Magnum on my hip. I think he had a 9mm on his. We never pulled our weapons out. We never got that uncomfortable. And I knew that if we ever did pull our weapons out, I don't know if it would have done us any good or would have antagonized whatever was facing us out of the woods. But I never got the view of one that I've seen at the backside of Enid Lake. But I knew what was facing us out had long snouts. We was getting closer to where we parked, and we knew we had to veer in a more 2 o'clock direction to get quicker to our vehicles. I'm not saying we was panicked. 
we wasn't because we didn't want to run and make it into a prey predator type situation. So we was pacing ourselves getting out. We was both calmly talking to each other the whole time. Dr. Charles was looking at them too, but he, I told him, I said, don't look directly toward them. Just keep looking forward. Try to watch them out of the, your peripheral vision. And when we started veering toward the two o'clock position to get more toward where we was parked at, one of them peeled off behind us and circled in to the left side. When we went into the two o'clock position, more toward that direction, we was putting ourselves probably about at the 50-yard mark in this 100-yard swath of woods, which gave it plenty of room to get between us and the river then. So we had one pacing us off to the right, and we had one then pacing us off to the left. And we could see through the trees. We could see the sun reflecting off the windshield of my pickup truck. And the closer we got to the truck, the more comfortable we both started feeling, but those things paced us on both sides after we started veering off to the center of this 100-yard section of woods on both sides. When you looked at those dogmen that were pacing you, you said you didn't get a good enough look at them to be able to tell if they looked like the one that you saw across that inlet that one day? Well... The deal with it is, is like what I've mentioned, and you already know this about me personally. I have seen Bigfoot, I have seen Boogers several times in my life. I have never seen Bigfoot or a Booger with a snout that looks like a dog. I'm talking about, I would guesstimate Big five and a half, six inches snout-wise. That is so unboogerish, it makes my hair stand up on my head just talking about it now. I mean, it's bad enough that you're sitting there looking for something like a Bigfoot or a booger who only 98.87% of the world knows is real, and then you're going to add into the dick something that has a snout. That even makes what? I do know for being real makes a person scratch his head and say, am I seeing what I'm really seeing here? Because, see, I try to be a stickler, especially with what I do being a, a tracker or a hunter, to try to take notes mentally of things that I see so I can learn. And that's one trait that my grandfather taught me to learn everything you can about what's in the woods, and the only way you can do that is by observing them and taking note of them. And when you start seeing something that has a protrusion or a snout that is nothing like anything else you've ever seen, even with the number of Bigfoot that I've seen over the years, and you see this thing, it stands out like a sore thumb, and it sure makes one feel really uneasy. Because I'm not saying I know everything there is about a booger. But I, compared to a booger and a dog man, I don't know nothing about a dog man. 
and it really sticks out in your mind when you see see a Bigfoot will run on all fours too. I call them knuckle walkers. I don't know if a dog man is a knuckle walker. I seen it in all four position, but it was running through the sage. I could not see how its hands was impacting the ground like I seen the one I described earlier in the show. I'm talking about a booger when it was loping across that pasture toward me, my brother, and my sister were in this kitchen or fireflies or lightning bugs. That one was impacting the ground with its knuckles. It was also leading with its left arm on the ground. I mean, we're not talking about unison hitting the ground. It was like a lope. These dog men type looking things are the new Lucifalea, and I'd rather call them that due to my heritage and native culture. I can't say that they are knuckle walkers because I don't physically know them. From what I see in prints or whatnot, I don't believe they do walk on their knuckles. I think they walk more conventionally, but they do have a different hand-type structure than a, a booger would have, so I guess that's not all that surprising that they would do that when you consider that they have claws on the tips of their fingers and everything. Right, and that's the thing I've never seen. I have never seen their hands. I mean, I may have had the best opportunity to have seen a hand at 120 yards, but 120 yards is a long way away. But when he stands out into a bad opening like that one did at Lake Enid, I could not tell you if it had claws or what. But the things that taste me and Dr. Charles Hallmark out of those woods at Brown Springs that February day, they was not shy about being stealthy that day either. When I've seen a booger or a Bigfoot chasing you out of the woods, and it's happened to me several times, they try to go out of their way to remain quiet as they can and hidden as they can. It's not like they're trying to draw attention to where they actually are at. When they was pacing me and Dr. Charles out, especially after they split up. I do know there was two. There was possibly they could have been three. But when they was two on our right on our north, but when they split apart and one went to our left side and one remained on our right side, these things never even attempted to try to be stealthy about their movements at all. They didn't stand out in the broad open, yes, they were still running through the sage, but they knew that we knew they was there. We just didn't obligate them by panicking or get into a major hurry on getting out of that location. I just had a feeling that we would have been majorly in trouble if we would have split up or tried to run out of there, and there was no way I was going to run out of there. We didn't pull our weapons, but we had both of our weapons unstrapped in our holsters, and our hands was near uh, the handles of our revolvers. But I had a revolver. He had a automatic. Well, I can't imagine what that was like. I'm so glad you two kept your cool and didn't make a run for the trucks or make a run for the cars. Like you said, that might have ended pretty badly. Well, who knows? 
They say the good Lord looks out for fools and idiots, and I'm the biggest <laughs> fool and idiot that he is because I'm chasing boogers all the time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, come on now. No, I know better than that. <laughs> now, we better move on because we're getting a little tight on time here, Beer. One thing I wanted to make sure that we covered was that incident. You, Tim, Leonard, Vicky, Dan, I think Gigi also, the event that right. you all experienced at the Land Between the Lakes. Could you tell us about that? Well, of course, Kumbo mentioned it on the show. I think it was episode 36. I don't know if there's going to be a show between mine and his, but that's neither the case. But anyhow, we've been to Land Between the Lakes a bunch of times. Actually, it's one of our best booger locations we go to. Every time we've gone up there, we found evidence of Bigfoot or boogers. And every time we go up there, we're not looking for dog men. We're looking for boogers. But for some reason, the northern end of LBL, that was the very first time we ever camped on the Kentucky side. And I'm not going to go into any of the stories that Kumbo related because uh, I'm sure that if any listeners heard that show, already know them. If you haven't heard that show, listen to that show on archives after this show and it would have more meaning to what I'm going to relate. But we was getting ready. We had been up there. This was in 2010. This just happened five years ago in November. We went up there in November, and we had been there from Wednesday until it was getting to be Monday. Kumbo had to go back to Missouri. Me and my wife, Tammy, she was not my wife at the time. That was the first outing I ever took my wife home. And we went to land between the lakes, but we decided to go to the Kentucky end and work on the Lake Barkley side, which is the eastern side, which is off the Cumberland River. That area up there is known for the dog man, the beast of LBL. I'm sure everybody's heard of it, or if they hadn't, they will after this radio interview. But anyhow, when we was up there, it was... Either Saturday night or Sunday night, but I think it was Sunday. And the reason I do, because a lot of people had already left. And uh, I think Evelyn and her uh, boyfriend was there, too. But we was worn out tired. When we go on a Bigfoot outing, we hit the woods during the day and the woods during the night. And we can't sleep when we can. And usually by the end of the outing, we're all worn out tired. Of course, Kumbo had his dog. His name is Buddy. I think me and Tammy had already went to bed, and Kumbo had went to bed because we had a long way to go home. Gigi, Leonard, Dan, and Vicky remained at the campfire. Evelyn and her boyfriend had already tore their tent down and put it into the back of their truck, and they decided to let the seats down in their SUV and sleep in their vehicle. Well. Even when I'm camping out, even if I'm dog tired, it takes me a while to go to sleep because I'm still listening for everything going on all around us. And I can hear Dan and Vicky and Gigi and Leonard up there talking at the campfire. We heard Leonard when he said, Look up yonder, do you see that? And I didn't know where he was pointing or nothing. He said, I seen something move behind that tree. And about that time, you could see somebody, and I think it was Leonard, had turned on a flashlight or something, and they flashed it back towards my blame tent. And I'm sitting there, what the heck's going on here, you know what I mean? And and you could hear them talking about it. They said, I've seen something move behind the tree. 
seen something blue behind that tree, and uh, they 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 sat there and talked about it for about ten twenty minutes, and then they settled back down and got to talking about other things. And anyhow, after that point in time, I just fell off to sleep. Well, the next morning, as soon as we got up, we started dismantling and taking down our tents. First, Kumbo was over there taking his down, and me and Tammy was taking mine down. Well, Leonard and them had already taken theirs down, so Leonard decides to walk over there by this big old oak tree that was within five yards of my tent. What you have to understand, land between the lakes, a lot of the property up there is built on limestone. I mean, you've got hardwood trees, but when the trees, and they're so big, that their root system are running along the top of the ground, kind of like veins in a person's body. Well, when the roots run along the top of the ground, and it's up there in Kentucky, which is colder up there in Kentucky than it is deeper in the south, where I'm used to, every time a root system are running along top of the ground, green moss would grow on top of the roots. Well, Leonard was over there looking at this darn tree, and I asked Leonard, I said, Leonard, what in the heck are you doing? He said, I'm looking for tracks, hopefully to find some tracks of what I saw run over here last night. I said, you mean telling me you seen something run over here this close to my tent? He said, yeah, come over here. And, and we was actually in that. We done collapsed the tent and everything else. Tammy was telescoping the tent poles up and so I decided to walk over there and see what Leonard was looking at and he said Barrett run right behind this tree right here well I looked at the tree and I looked at where my tent was it wasn't even five yards for about ten so I just got to look I said well you was up there at the fire right he said yeah I was up there at the fire I said well where did you see it he said run behind this tree right here I said well, heck, we won't never find any footprints right here on this dirt uh, ground because it's hard as a brick bat. But I got to looking, and I seen five tears in the moss. Well, I got down on my hands and knees, and I said, what in the heck caused this? And I got to looking, and there was a perfect right footprint on the veins of moss coming off of that tree right there. When I found the five rips in the ground on the moss, it was like a box cutter had ripped five perfect lines. Not only did I find that, I found the heel print on the back side of it where it depressed the moss. And when I visually could see it and I outlined it with my finger, this thing was about 15, 16 inches long. I saw the hill, and then I seen where, what had happened, and I visualized what happened. Because I heard it the night before, or about five hours before, because we usually go to bed anywhere from 2, 3, 4 in the morning, depending on how late we're out. But this was about 2.30 in the morning. When I saw those rips, I could see that it was five toes, and every one of the toes had balls on it. And what happened was, this thing was gaining purchase when Leonard yelled out, Hey, did y'all see that? When he said that, this thing gripped the ground with his feet to gain purchase. In the process of 
gripping the ground with his feet, his claws dug into the ground. It dug into the ground to the extent each one of these tears in the moss was anywhere from three to four inches long. When I found that one track, I said, huh, it was not walking on the bare ground, it was walking on the moss. Two reasons for that, guys. I'm a hunter, I'm a tracker. You can gain more purchase on the moss and you can walk quieter on the moss than you can impacted hard on the ground. We had about eight or nine people was there that night. Outnumbered the way I look at it. Cause I look at everything. I look for patterns. And I found that rip. And when I found it, I started looking above it. I wanted to see where the left foot was. And you know what? I found another rib of mouse off of the root system. And there was its left foot. And it had the same marking. And you could see where the big toe was all the way to the little toe. It wasn't in a straight line. It was kind of like it was angled, like your foot. If you look at your foot, that's a big toe, and then it goes all the way down to your little toe at an angle. And there was the left toe mark, and it had gripped the ground in the same way and ripped up the carpet of that mouse, just like the right foot had. Gaining purchase to get behind the trunk of that tree, that was when Leonard started flashing that flashlight around. And that thing was just five yards from where me and Tammy was asleep in that thin fabric tent. Now, when I found those tracks, that's when I was able to get me a stick. Actually, what I did, I got one of the telescoping rods off of my tent. And I went from heel of the right foot to the toes of the left foot, and I was able to get it stride. The stride on this thing was almost four and a half feet. Do you know how tall that would make this thing? About seven foot tall. Now, when I was able to find the length of its strides, I used that same little telescope and pull off my tent and found a third track, then the fourth track. Then after everybody settled down, that sucker encircled my tent and went directly behind Kumbo's tent. To get Kumbo's story, I let his episode of number 36 take up where mine just left off. That really scared the heck out of me, knowing not because I was in that tent, but my wife was in that tent. I'm the type guy that tries to look out for everybody that goes out with me before I do myself. I'm about to say that to come across as a heroic type. That's just the way I've always been my whole life. I look out for everybody that's close to me or with me on an expedition or an outing. And I knew that thing was that close to me. Man, that blew my mind, Vic. Oh, I can understand. That would blow anyone's mind. Not a comforting thought whatsoever. You know what's ironic about that, Bear? I remember when all that happened, when you all came back from that camping trip. Vicky actually sent me a picture or two of the footprints that you found. 
That print was the print that I found, Vic. That was the most perfect track out of all of them was that first one. And she took pictures of them, and I wish, like, the devil that I had a copy to post on your website. I'm sure she's got them somewhere. That was a dog man's footprint, and it just blew my mind. It's hard to imagine that there's something out there like that, Vic. But since me and you have been talking, you've got my interest up, which I'm never going to turn into a dog man tracker or hunter because I don't want to. <laughs> for obvious reasons but there's one thing I want you to know real quick and I know we're running out of time LBL Land Between the Lakes is another location that has a past history of violence especially the north end of it in Kentucky I'm beginning to associate the fact there's a lot of locations in the United States or probably other countries that if they have a past history of evil, death, deprivation, slaughter, murder, whatever, why are these things being found in those type locations? And I'm not saying that this is the cause of all of this, but it's mighty strange because, as I mentioned earlier, as a hunter and as a tracker, mainly a Bigfoot or a booger hunter, I'm seeing a pattern here. And it's always around locations that has a lot of very sadistic type slaughter, death, or whatever. And since I've mentioned this to you, I found this since me and you talked initially Thursday night. And I bet if people would look into the past history of those locations where these things are being found at, I'm almost willing to bet there is a pattern here. I wouldn't be surprised. It sure does make you wonder if there is some kind of correlation between the fact that a lot of these places do have a past like what you mentioned. I guess we'll never know. You keep doing what you're doing, you might compile enough that you could figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> that might happen. You never know. I'm going to keep at it. We'll see what I can turn up on that. Before we get into the closing comments, Beer, I want to ask you, have you ever avoided an area altogether because of dogmen that you knew about being there? Not really. It looks like I'm, like I said earlier, fools and idiots. I've been back to Brown Springs. Now, would I ever camp there, even if it is private property and I got permission? Probably. It all depends on I, I'd have to choose who I'd want with me. It had to be more than five or six people that I trust. Have I been back to LBL? Yes. Am I going back to LBL? Yes. Will that deter me from doing what I do? No, it won't. Actually, in a lot of ways, I think because of the things I've learned with boogers or with Bigfoot, that I'm not saying that I'm not scared because a fool will tell you that they're not scared of nothing, but there's always some fear in everything you do. It's just certain cases, especially like dealing with eight, nine, 
10 foot tall boogers. I mean, until somebody has looked at one within six or seven yards and has to look up at the breadth of its shoulders, how big this thing is, there's no bars between you and it, that don't make me a brave man, but it also has taught me a lot of respect. It's also taught me never panic. You've got to fight down the fear and the panic. I'm not telling people to go out there and do this just because I do it. I've learned over the years that I've been very fortunate and lucky. I don't want people to think they can go out there and do what I do because the only reason I'm doing what I do is I've been doing it ever since I was 15 years old. Does that make me better? Nobody knows. But that makes me smarter because I know these things a lot better than the average person. I know enough about them to know don't never run from them. I know enough about these things to know don't never panic around them. I know they feed off of fear. I know that a wolf, I know that a bear can sense fear. I know a dog can sense fear. I know a horse can sense fear. And if you are scared of something, and you tell others just to show how brave you are that you're not scared of them, but you really are. The only person you're fooling is yourself because you're not fooling the animal that's confronting you. I've learned to never make any sudden movements, also to never run, also to never give in to my fear because I feel like that if I ever do, these things will tear me to pieces. I'm not dealing with your average animal out there. I'm dealing with something that could be dangerous. It all depends on your mentality and your attitude. And I've had a lot of practice, a lot more than a lot of people. Kumbo has too. How to carry yourself and control your emotions as much as you can when you're around these things. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not saying that is for everybody, but I'm just saying if you do go out there, you're doing it at your own risk because the only person who knows their own limitations is each individual. You can lie to yourself sometimes, but you can't lie to yourself all the time. Like I said before, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you coming on and sharing all those great stories and info with us. I really do appreciate it. Well, I'm honored that I'm on your show. I'd do anything in the world for you. I know that you would return a favor. There's not the one request I ever want to make, and you know I'm going to say it. Me and Kumbo <laughs> want you to come to LBL with us one time, and I promise you we'll put 24-7 surveillance on you, but you need to come with us one time. You've got to. <laughs> Like I told Tim, thanks for the invite, but the LBL, that's one place that I can honestly say I don't think it's ever going to see me. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry to disappoint. Uh, you're not disappointing me, brother. I appreciate you. I appreciate what you're doing. You're a good man. And if anything I could ever do for you in this endeavor or anything else, or if you ever have any questions, you know my phone number, you know my email address, you know my line's open to you 24-7. You're a good man, and I appreciate you having me on the show.
You know that goes two ways. I can't say enough good things about you either, and if I can ever help, please do let me know. I'd love to be there for you. Well, thanks again for coming on, and just like with Tim, I don't need to tell you not to be a stranger, because I know I'll see you around anyway. Well, yes, sir. I ain't going nowhere. And if I do pass away, I'll make sure Tammy knows to tell you first off. <laughs> that way you can play that date booger finally got him. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, if that does happen, I sure hope it doesn't. But if it does happen, I sure would like to be notified of it so I don't have to hear that from somebody else. But Well, let's don't get depressed about it. Me and you are going to live to be 120 years old, so let's not even discuss that one. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. You know, only the good die young, so we should live forever. Yeah, I ain't going nowhere then. you and me both that's for sure well thanks again beer so much i really appreciate it you have yourself a great night okay yes sir you too and thank you all the listeners out there wanting to hear a good old country boy from mississippi try to help out with something that he don't understand but i promise you if i ever run into any more dog men and I'm sure I will because I'm still going out there. I'm still hitting the bushes. Me and Kumbo both are. You guys will be the first to know. But we appreciate it. Thanks again and have a great night. Good night, everybody. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye. If you've had a dogman encounter and you want to speak with me, whether in private or on the show, you can reach me at contact at dogmanencounters.com. I'd love to hear from you.